Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. What's up, guys? We have an awesome specialty podcast today for emergency medicine. I'd like to be the first to introduce our two fourth years, Chase Thorson and calling in Shay Bowles to the show. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks. Thank you. For those of you new to Medicus, the interview with our fourth year students will consist of three parts. The first part will be about the field. The second part will be matching into the field. And the third part will be the general advice section. Before we get to that, let's first get to know a little bit more about our guests. So, guys, who are you? And take us through your journey in medicine thus far. Shay, you can start. Okay, I'm Shay. I'm from Sonoma, California. I did my undergrad at Santa Clara, which is in California also. And I thought for a long time that I wanted to be a teacher. And at some point, I kind of started getting interested in medicine, I think through anatomy classes and physiology classes. And I realized that you could be a teacher and a doctor because you teach a lot of your patients and you can teach trainees underneath you and that sort of thing. And then I did an ethics internship at Santa Clara, which was really focused on ethical issues in the hospital, but we shadowed doctors and nurses and I think hospice um, nurses and chaplains. And the point was to identify ethical issues in the hospital, but with shadowing the doctors and stuff, I really became interested in medicine. And I took a year off during, after I graduated from Santa Clara and before med school and I scribed in the emergency department and that really solidified that I wanted to go into medical school and that I probably wanted to do emergency medicine. Um, another kind of weird thing about me, I guess, is that I did HPSP, which is the health profession scholarship program, which you join a, the air force, the army or the Navy. Um, so the military and they pay for your med school, give you a stipend and then you can match, uh, with them. So I matched with the air force earlier this month at UC Davis. So they have, they have both all military programs and some civilian programs. So that's kind of the cool thing about that. Mm -hmm. And so I will complete my residency at UC Davis. And then after that, I'll be a doctor in the air force for four years. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So I'm Chase tough, tough, tough act to follow. Um, I was born in Seattle, kind of lived like uh, along the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. uh, went to undergrad at Gonzaga University, which is a much better school than Santa Clara. Um, <laughs> and I was one of those weird kids who knew I wanted to do specifically emergency medicine when I was like 10 years old. So um, my dad's like best friend is an EM doc. Okay. Um, and I think something about the appeal of the specialty, you know, the mix of working with your hands, procedures, medical knowledge, um, kind of being like that first responder was really appealing to me. Uh, to me. And I got in my head this idea when I was like 11 years old that I would do Doctors Without Borders. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Doctors Without Borders was based in Paris. And so I was like, all right, so when you're an 11 year old, this is your logic. You're like, okay, so I have to go to medical school and I have to learn French. And so that was kind of the guiding principle from then on. Um, wow. I had a brief stop at like 13 when a girl I had a crush on, um, her dad was a lawyer. 
So I was like, oh, right, so I'll have to be a lawyer now. <laughs> girls. And um, that wasn't the case. Okay. So, so at Gonzaga, whatever, did the pre-med thing yeah. and um, applied to medical school as a senior and was going to start up uh, the next year, like right after, and kind of had a revelation that I was like, oh, crap, like I'm going to be in medical school for the next four years and then residencies, however long that's going to be, and like I'm not going to have any breaks. Mm-hmm. And last minute, also submitted an application to go um, work abroad as a teacher in France because mm-hmm. I was like, well, this has always been the dream, learn French, and then mm-hmm. – this kind of would solidify my knowledge. So I kind of bailed a little bit last minute on the idea of going to medical school right after college and uh, went and lived in France for a year uh, teaching English uh, and then was like, all right, cool, I got this. And then towards the end of my France uh, vacation job type thing, <laughs> we'll say, uh, came back and then did the scribe thing like Shay okay, cool. uh, and then did some kind of like generic science research type stuff and awesome. uh, got my application ready for medical school. Awesome. Um, yeah. Great. Well, thanks for being here, guys. Um, and Shay, thanks for calling in from uh, sunny California, or maybe not so sunny today. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, raining today. Oh, well, <laughs> Most of the time. Darn. Um, so just to start, um, kind of learn more about the field of emergency medicine. Can you guys take us through your decision to go into EM? And I know you guys kind of touched on like why, a little bit why, on, on you wanted to go to EM, but what, what drew you to pursue emergency medicine or what has drawn you maybe within the like the last four years to to pursue emergency medicine um so yeah so like i said a little bit i was always interested in emergency medicine just because um it's the most frontward aspect of the hospital and really one of the few specialties i knew about uh, coming from an area where you don't really have access to other specialties from like the rural northwest i didn't know what ent doctors were anesthesiologists or like other things besides like kind of primary care em gen surge and I think a lot of what people end up liking is just their exposure. And I had a lot of exposure, you know, volunteered, did scribing in the ED. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it. Um, and I think kind of the broader overarching thing that I touched on a little bit earlier was the appeal of the ED for me is a couple things. Um, the pace. I am a pretty impatient person, as Shay might guess. <laughs> I'm um, and I really like the breadth and the variety of patients that come into the ED and you never know what's going to come in each day and Mm -hmm. it's such like a pleasure and a treat to just you just kind of wake up and show up and you better be ready because whatever's coming through the door is on you Mm -hmm. um so that I really liked the kind of the pace like that um the different knowledge base you know every specialty interacts with the public in a different way um and in the ED I feel like you're kind of the front door of the hospital um Mm -hmm. you know most admit most admissions at Loyola, for example, coming through the ED. And so they're patients who you show up and you don't know why they're there and you have to be um, the interaction with them both medically and with them as a community. So the perception that the community is going to have of the hospital and the area is based a lot on their experience with the hospital and most people's experience with the hospitals in the ED. Um, so you get to deal with all sorts of other problems that you wouldn't necessarily deal with, You know, whether that's um, families coming in wondering where there are, uh, police activity in the area, things like that, uh, mm-hmm. drug overdoses, local infections, like infectious disease type mm-hmm. stuff, you kind of get to be the first to see that. So I really like the idea of um, working quickly, a lot of different fields, um, seeing a lot of people, and being the forward-facing aspect of the hospital. Awesome. Shay? Yeah, I think he described like the day-to-day what I like about it. But I think also growing up and I have gone to Catholic school my whole life. And so a big thing that we always had to do was find service projects and 
there was a big push to serve your community and the people around you and to just make a big difference. And so I knew growing up that I wanted to have more of a vocational career than just like a plain job. And so a big part of why I went into medicine was to serve my community and help people help the underserved and the people who need help the most. And I think emergency medicine is like the best way to do that. Not even, I mean, just like within medicine and just in general as a career, um, you're really helping the most vulnerable patient population and serving your community just like right then and there. And so like the day to day is great too, but I think it's just like super fulfilling. Awesome. Yeah. I think we could both go on for quite a while about it. There's just so much cool stuff to oh, like about EM yeah. and, and I, you know, Echoing Shay, I can, we kind of both did like the same Catholic background and we're at Loyal, obviously. Yeah. I thought Shay was going to say we treat the human spirit here, um, <laughs> which is my favorite buzzline. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's, it's so, it's so rewarding. Like, I think people will tell you in, in medical school, like you, you kind of know a little bit. Right. So there's definitely a lot of things when you start medical school that like, I was an athletic guy. So I was like, oh, I'll do ortho. Right. Sure. Like every other male in medical school. <laughs> and, um. And then you actually do it. And I remember from my EM rotations, just like being excited, like showing up every day and being like, sweet, all right, like this is gonna be dope. This like, is it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it kind of, I think uh, I have such enthusiasm for the field that sometimes it can kind of come off weird because you're like, oh, I can't wait for people to come into the emergency room. And you're like, well, these people are really sick. Like they're having a pretty bad day. And you're yeah. like, yeah, but like, this is, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to help these people, so. Awesome. Well, if you guys can't tell from listening, like Chase is literally beaming every time he talks about EM. So, so clearly he picked the right choice. Because <laughs> I, I get to talk to Shay yeah. every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah. So this is actually kind of a fun question because it, it kind of challenges you to think about EM in a different way. But what do you guys dislike about EM? Shay, you can take that. <laughs> okay. Well, the I mean, the lack of the continuity of care is obvious. And I don't think for me it was necessarily like you you miss that with your patients because I don't think – I don't really think that's true. Like I think the great part about emergency medicine is you walk into a room and you have a split second, a snap of a finger to get that person to trust you and you create a bond right away. So it's not like you miss out on bonding with people. I don't think that at all, but I think the lack of um, like – Knowing, I guess, what the diagnosis is. So sometimes you admit a patient and or maybe you transfer them and they're now they now have a new EMR or something. There's no way to follow up what their diagnosis is. So it could be something really complicated that you're really curious about. And then there's no way to to figure that out. And so it's not for me, it's not like the lack of continuity of care with patients, but it's the lack of of that longitudinal learning sometimes but not always because a lot of the times like at Loyola if you admit a patient you can write down kind of their their MRN or something in a private way that nobody will find out who they are and then you can look them up later and see what happened with them and learn from that but when you can't do that I find that kind of frustrating definitely yeah, I think it's totally true. And I think um, to Shay's point, there are like kind of ways that the field doesn't necessarily integrate longitudinal patient care kind of to, to Shay's respect. I mean, you have, you know, kind of your frequent flyers in the ED who come in for all sorts of things that are usually known to the staff. But as, as far as Shay's point, you kind of have to, 
as an individual, take the responsibility on yourself if you want to have continued patient interaction. So sure. you have to, you know, look up someone's medical record if they've been admitted and see ultimately what the diagnosis was and if you were right about it and how you should evaluate, you know, your workup and your plan because maybe you completely missed something that the inpatient team found. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's things like discharging someone with, like, abdominal pain that, you know, you were pretty sure was benign, but you weren't totally sure. It was kind of on the fence about it, and you mm-hmm. decided to discharge for that patient. Um, you know, it's not like family. You're telling them to follow up with family. So I think you have to do stuff like, you know, either call their family doctor or call the patient and say, hey, <laughs> mm-hmm. did you make it? How do things go? Yeah. Sure. Um, but as far as my frustrations with the ED, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily unappealing to me, but I could see being unappealing. Um, one thing about emergency medicine is like, your holidays aren't yours, your weekends aren't yours anymore, your nights aren't yours anymore. And I think for some people that can be really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there can be a perception of EM that the physicians work less than physicians in other fields. Okay. And I think that's because you'll see an EM physician on a Tuesday afternoon, just like hanging out at home or on vacation or something, right? But what you don't see is they're working Thanksgiving evening and not with their family. So there's kind of that trade-off in, in EM that sure. can be uh, difficult to manage with like your other relationships with people. Uh, I think the biggest frustration with me in emergency medicine is um, sort of emergency medicine's interaction with the rest of the community and the rest of the patient base. And so, so what I mean with that is um, what can be a challenge, I guess I would say, is that you have people, depending on where you practice, who might not have good access to care, right? And you're going to have people who come in with an asymptomatic hypertension who you know the workup for, and they're coming for you because they need primary care treatment or, you know, a slightly sprained ankle or things that often would fall under the purview of maybe primary care or not quite emergent care. And it's frustrating because you want to help them because you go to medical school. And, and like Shay said, we have all these like desires to give back to our community. We want to help our community. But you also have to be intelligent about allocating your time because it's, it's an emergency room. And every minute that you spend treating someone's hypertension is a minute that you're not treating someone who is in a big car crash or something or not being prepared for the person with who comes in with a STEMI. Um, so that kind of dichotomy can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. And then also because you're the forward-facing aspect of the community, I think you end up dealing with insurance issues and uh, globally like healthcare policy in the country in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was going to I was almost going to ask to follow up. I know uh, you kind of mentioned I think this is a good point that I didn't really think about, but how EM docs I think are are really on the front lines of like patient ag- advocacy and you know the whole NRA like stay in your lane kind of thing. Sure. Like I know there was like a huge outcry of EM physicians. Um so there's there's definitely like a bunch of things that you can do off of EM in terms of the community that can really be positive. So I, th- I really feel like that is a, a really strong um, benefit of going into emergency medicine. But, but, you, yeah. but, you know, I guess my point is that you can you could see how some people would be like, I don't want to deal with that. You right. know what I mean? Absolutely. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. so, so yeah, I think, I think for Shay and I, like, the re- part of the reason we love this field is that you can take these avenues into other sure. things. Things like infectious disease, where you're going to see the presentation of all these people, overdoses, uh, crime, um, violent crime especially. Mm-hmm. Um, you see those first, but that can also be frustrating because... You know, patients are coming in because they got shot. It's not something they did wrong right. most of the time. Right. Cool. So, guys, what are the stereotypes or assumptions of your specialty, and is there a truth to any of them? 
You, you have to like rock climbing. You have to like rock climbing. You have to have a tattoo. <laughs> these, are, these are the facts. Whatever. <laughs> so you have to have a tattoo. You have to. Most EM docs I've met. I, I didn't know the tattoo was. Oh no! Every EM doc has a tattoo. <laughs> um, rock climbing, sure. Adrenaline junkies is like kind of broadly. Oh, adrenaline junkies. So okay. motorcycles, I would say, is like the broad stereotype. Okay. When I was scribing, two of the guys had planes and and flew them all the time, and I got to fly with them, which was super cool. But it, you know, they were always outdoors. They liked to mountain bike and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's definitely a field because because like we said earlier, it kind of all ties in together. Like you're gonna have a random Tuesday off, so you kind of have to find activities that you can do more or less on your own. Sure. Um, oh. And so it lends itself to activities that are like, man, I guess I'll go jump out of a plane. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. How about the the attendings themselves? As far as their personalities? Yeah. Um, I think that... People with that, short attention spans? Yeah, sure. And I think that's t- that might vary. I would say, in general, everyone is really nice, but I don't think that's unique to EM. You know, I'm not saying that, like, other specialties aren't necessarily nice. Yeah. Um, people are nice, welcoming, sure, short attention span. Um, yeah, I'll let Shay, I guess, continue. <laughs> yeah, I think... The word that even people use when I go to interviews, like that the residents use and even some of the attendings is chill. The people are really chill. And I found that to be true on my interviews. Mm -hmm. Like nobody was trying to trick you with the questions. And yeah, people are really nice. But I mean, I think it, it does take a certain person to like that shift work and working odd hours and yeah, working on holidays. But then the kind of flip side is you don't have call and when you're off, you're off for the most part. I think mm-hmm. there might be some places where you might have to be called in if you're short staffed or something. But um, I think just like that type of person who's kind of willing to be flexible and take whatever schedule comes at them because it's not set every week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of ties into Shay saying that you have to be a little bit chill. Is that like, you show up for a shift and it might be super mm-hmm. empty mm-hmm. or it might be, you know, there's a, a mass casualty event nearby or something or something terrible and you end up having to do a re- have a really difficult and busy shift. And so I think the chill nature maybe or, the you know, maybe reflects that you kind of have to be even keeled and like ready for whatever walks through the door and have some some peace and some serenity in that and be able to like tolerate it well. For sure. For sure. Um so were you guys ever deciding between two different fields of medicine? And I know, Chase, you said I was going to be an EM doc <laughs> since the day I you know, came out of the womb. Pretty much. But, um, uh, but like when you were rotating, do you ever like feel a strong pull to like one or another field of medicine? Yeah, so I, I actually considered almost everything else. So um, when you show up to medical school, there's so many things that you've never heard of that are like specialties. And so you're like, hmm, I might as well check them out. So I kind of already mentioned ortho. I did research in ortho. Um, I was the president of the urology interest group. So I was interested in urology. I thought it was really cool. Easy. Um, I really like cardiac and pulmonary physiology. So I was, in, I was considering like doing medicine and then through those pulmon and um, cardio. Mm-hmm. Um, PM and R kind of like ties into like the athletic stuff and maybe isn't a surgical. Um, and I guess for me, um, the big things that kind of differentiated those fields. Oh, and I will also say that um, I had, did a cardiothoracic surgery rotation here, and my fellow and my resident are to this day probably my favorite like fellow and resident that I've ever met. And so I was like, oh shoot, maybe I should just go into this so I can hang out with these guys. <laughs> um, so I will say that the 
I think I liked different parts of all those things. And the beauty of EM is that you kind of get to do a little bit of everything. You're gonna sure. see your you're gonna see the emergency versions of of everything that mm-hmm. those people see. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for example, like surgery, I just doing cholecystectomies wasn't interesting to me. You know, I want to like do the workup and like get everybody ready. Um, and I like the procedural aspect of it, but it was so kind of routine and monotonous uh-huh. um, to me that I wanted something a little bit more varied, um, uh-huh. a little less planned. Cool. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I liked everything. And I considered every field while I was on those rotations. I think the only thing I didn't really like was hebonk. But other than that, and I bet because I was inpatient, I bet outpatient would be better. But yeah, on medicine... I was like, oh, I love this. I could do this. And cardiology, I really like too. Mm-hmm. And then even on surgery, I did vascular surgery. And it was super fun and exciting. And then like OB, I really liked. I thought for a minute I could do that. Neur- neurology. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a neurologist. I did that every rotation. I just liked everything. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, that I mean, that is part of the reason Mm-hmm. I chose EM and I don't think you should choose EM just because you like everything and you can't decide. But when it kind of all makes sense into like why you like EM mm-hmm. and, kind of and that is place. kind of like the yeah. people that we are is like, Oh, you, you could like anything like, and I think people going into medicine in general are pretty flexible people. And so I think you could probably train yourself to like anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. And really? That, like, I don't think there's yeah, like no. a one you know, there's not like one thing that's meant for everyone, I don't think. So sure. I think it's really just choosing what makes the most sense. But I think like both of us would be happy doing multiple things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think to Shay's point, like you just, you can like everything. And that's like kind of works with EM pretty well. Same way it would mm-hmm. work with like family medicine or maybe some parts of internal medicine is that you just, you get the undifferentiated patient and they could have anything and you at least have to like know, you don't have to know as much as the cardiologist knows about, you know, the coronary arteries, but you have to know the second most and, mm-hmm. you know, I have to know when to have to call them. True. Um, so that part's really cool. You get to know like a, a huge breadth of things, maybe not yeah. to the depth of the interventional radiologist. Right. Um, but you know a little bit about it and you know when to call him or her. Yeah. You know how to save a life. Definitely. Those <laughs> Hopefully. Things that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks to pray. <laughs> Cool. So now we're kind of transitioning into matching into the field and um, just kind of your recommendations. I know you guys are going through the process or have gone through the process and matched. And I know, Shay, you're kind of a unique situation, which is great. Um, so uh, like you like you said, you're matched into the Air Force, correct? Um, yes. Uh, in California? Yes. Um, so... So you can kind of talk a little bit about how that process works um, and how you make yourself competitive, I guess, in, in that sense, um, if it is any different compared to, I guess, what Chase is doing on a normal non-military mm-hmm. match would be. Um, so anyway, my question is, what did you guys do to make yourself a competitive applicant for matching into emergency medicine? Well, I think to match into the military is pretty similar as just getting a civilian spot. The Air Force, when they kind of tell us how they score us, and a big part of that is commitment to the field, and a big another big component is leadership. And so knowing that, I kind of thought how I could make myself stand out. And both of those, I think, can go together. You can find things that kind of match both. So I was involved in the emergency medicine interest group, and then AAM, RSA is... Um, 
well, it stands for American Academy of Emergency Medicine, the resident student association. So I had a leadership position in that. And so both of those things showed that I was a committed to the field and B, that I could handle a leadership position. So I think that made me a competitive applicant. And then as far as the Air Force, um, we have training. I did my training between first and second year. So it was officer training school. And I had a leadership position in that in those five weeks. And so I was able to talk a lot about that, like on my interviews and in my application um, the piece that we have to write for a Dean's letter, I wrote about that, uh, time. So I think those were two really big things for me and for the air force. And I think it's the same, I think for the civilian match, but, um, commitment to the field leadership, the letters of rec that we use in EM are called slows or slowies, however you say them. And, uh, I think, I was told on my interviews that I had good slows and that that was a, a big reason why they interviewed me. And I think the way you get a good slow, like you don't have to be the smartest. I never felt like I was the smartest on my rotations, but I think I worked pretty hard and I would just pick up patients constantly and just show that I was really interested. And I think a big part too, is just having a positive attitude. Like Chase was saying, he was like super excited when he walks in. And they can see that. So just being like really like taking initiative, I think was a big thing. Like everyone's going to have like a certain knowledge base, which is fine. But I think if you just show that once you're a resident, you're not going to cause problems and you're going to work really hard, then I think that goes a really long way. And I didn't do any research. I know Chase did, but I, I think it would have helped my application, I guess, um, for the Air Force, because part of how they rank you, they give you a couple points for research or for publications, but I still matched into the spot that I wanted without it. So you don't necessarily need it. But I think I also had a good reason why I didn't do it. I talked about all the other things that I did do and how like research just didn't really fit into anything that I wanted to do. And so I think with all that, I, I was able to match into what I wanted. Gotcha. And Shay, I'm just going to really quick ask a follow-up for that just because it's a little different being, you know, a military match. Um, is it different? So let's say, did you, did you want to go into the Air Force? Yes. Okay. Um, so is it different to match into uh, like a different sector of, uh, of the military? Um, like in terms of like, do you need to have a certain letter of rec if you want to go into the army or do you need to have a certain like step score, I guess, to get into air force or. So you pick which branch you want to do before med school. So I've been in the air force for a few years now. Um, and there's no, there's no, I guess to get into those branches, there might be some different criteria, but that would be like your MCAT score and your grades. And, um, I don't think there's like a big difference between all of them. So it's mostly kind of whatever you want. And then I chose the air force going into med school and then I've been in the air force this whole time. And then that was the only one I could match in. Um, like I couldn't decide, okay, now I want to like do an army position. So they each have different bases where you can do your residency. Some of them are the same. So like uh, two of the places where you do, you can do emergency medicine in the Air Force. You can also do it in the Army. But some of them are completely different, and 
the Navy is completely different. Um, so if I wanted to be in San Diego, I would have had to be in the Navy because that's where the Naval base is. But so you pick, you pick before you go into med school. Gotcha. If that answers your question. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, as far as being a competitive applicant and stuff like that, I think Shay hit like most of the stuff pretty well. Um, the only difference is, um, maybe for civilian stuff is, uh, or I guess I would compare and contrast it with, with other fields. Um, so, you know, the, kind of the typical med school stuff, like get good grades, be involved in extracurricular type stuff, do well in step, all those things apply. Um, and then for EM, to kind of chase point that she mentioned, is that the, those letters of recommendation um, usually are the biggest part of your application, I think, um, mm-hmm. according to, like, residency program surveys. And so you want to do well on those. And as Shay mentioned, a lot of it is being... Um, enthusiastic on time and ready to like kick butt and just be um, pleasant to work with. Um, you have to show an interest in the field, be ready to see who, whoever comes through. Um, and you don't want to be someone who's, I think in contrast to other specialties that we talked about a little bit, you know, EM has reputation for being chill. So being super cutthroat in the ED isn't necessarily as well perceived, I would say, as it might be in another field. Um, because ultimately we're kind of all on the same team of patient care and whether I pick up that patient or Shay picks up that patient, like we're both working together to make sure this patient is safe. Um, so I think that aspect might be a little bit different from other fields. Um, and then as Shay mentioned, research in, in my experience, at least what I've been told is that research isn't as big of a deal for emergency medicine as it would be for a surgical specialty. Um, and then classically, board scores and grades have been less important than they would be for like a neurosurgery, but you, know, you still want to like do as well as you can on those mm-hmm. things to not limit your options. Um, so yeah, my advice to be a competitive applicant would just be specifically for EM, the general things, but engage in a um, broad variety of experiences because those will help you connect to people maybe better, and that's a really big skill when you're coming into the ED. Mm-hmm. Um, learn Spanish, that would be a really <laughs> good skill that Shay did that I did not do. Um, French helps though, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of French-speaking people in uh, <laughs> Western suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. Um, and just and just be excited to be there and enthusiastic and work hard. And yeah, and like Shay said, if you're not, you know, you don't have to know everything and that's kind of part of the EM specialty is like, if someone comes in with a rare autoimmune disease, you're not gonna find that out in the emergency room. Um, but you have to know enough to know that you need to call for help or what things you can't do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. How did you guys structure your fourth year for matching into emergency medicine? So she's probably a better example. So I'll let her take it first. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't think that it's super obvious when you're kind of setting up your schedule, but what I have realized, I think, through both what I did and like what Chase did and what other people that I know have done, I think it helpful to have two EM rotations by the end of September so you can get those slows in because you have to submit your application on ERAS on September 15th. You don't need your second slow in on that day, but you ideally want that in by like the first or second week of October. And so if you finish by September, then you can get that second slow in because then your application is complete and because you can get one other letter of recommendation from some other specialty. So you, you really just need two initially and three slows would be great too. And, but and to at clarify, least two. You, to apply, you actually only need one slow. Um, okay. It's like 
the standard, but mm -hmm. some places individually might want more. Um, mm -hmm. And you can yeah. always have as many as you want. Gotcha. But so you shoot for two-ish. The minimum is one. Minimum is one, shoot for two, three is good. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just think, I think in your mind, if you can make it happen, then you should have two by September. Like you should keep that as a minimum Okay. in your mind. I would, that is my suggestion because I just know of people who like weren't getting interviews from places that they probably would have if they had another slow and maybe they got the interview later on in October um, or I guess in November once they got another rotation in, in October but I think it was just really stressful for those people. So that would be if you can make it happen. And if you can't make it happen, it's not the end of the world. It's still going to work out. But I think it would just make life easier if you can make it happen. So like what I did is I took step two in July just to get it over with. And since I was matching early, I kind of needed uh, my step two done. And then I did in August, I did EM at Loyola. And then in September, I did my first away rotation. And then in October, I did my third or my second away rotation, my third EM rotation. So by the end of September, I had done my two. And so I submitted my second slow at some point in October, like October 10th or something. And that was early enough that um, programs could see that. And then I did my last EM rotation in October and you can then submit another slow if if you were to do that. Um, I didn't because things were like kind of wrapping up. But and then sub eyes. Well, I guess those would be your EM sub eyes. And then kind of the rest of how you do fourth year, I feel like doesn't matter so much. Then it's kind of like whatever else you have going on. But I think I think you don't need step two done in July for EM. Um, if you did well on step one, then they'll just kind of like take that as like, okay, you'll probably do okay on step two. If you didn't do super hot on step one, then they typically say to to try to take step two early and do really well so that you show that you can take that test and do really well. Um, so I think it kind of depends on your, like how you look as an applicant already. But I think it is, I think, useful what I've been telling people is to try to get two EM rotations done by September. So you have those two slows, so you just don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. But I, that's just my, my idea. Gotcha. Yeah. Great. I think, I think Shay, mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Um, I did pretty much the same schedule Shay did. Um, I took step two also early just because my friends were doing it then and it was a convenient time to do it. Um, and to Shay's point, it might have been more beneficial to have done those uh, away rotations earlier, just exactly what she said, so they're in your file. Mm -hmm. um, so if anything, I would say you kind of have July, August, September, and even September is sort of late given that you submit on the 15th. Yeah. So in July, August, September is when you usually do your three EM rotations. Not everyone does three. You can do two because you only technically need one letter, mm -hmm. or you can do one if you're a really strong applicant otherwise. Mm -hmm. Most people do two or three kind of range. Mm -hmm. um, so those three months is when you want to kind of crack those out. Gotcha. Um, just get them done early and then you're in your file. Cool. And yeah, and then to Shay's point, the rest of fourth year is like going to be school dependent um, mm -hmm. and just do what is interesting to you where you think will be most beneficial long term. Awesome. I uh, think something I didn't realize when I was scheduling my rotations and planning where I wanted to do them was, and I don't know how much this matters, but maybe like mixing up where you do your away rotations, like doing one at an academic center 
-hmm. and doing one at a county hospital or kind of finding some variety because I did in um, September, I was at UC Davis. And then in October, I was at uh, UNLV, which is a county hospital. And I didn't get a slow from UNLV because I had kind of everything set by then. And but then I was like going on these interviews and people were like, oh, we didn't even know you rotated at UNLV. Like, oh, that's good to know that you've had this county experience. And some places where I didn't get interviews at, they emailed them and said, oh, by the way, I actually did rotate at a county hospital and I am interested in a county program like yours. And I ended up getting interviews from them later on. And I don't know if it had anything to do with that or not, but I think it was interesting to like kind of learn that. Uh, wait, did you, so did you email, did they say, oh, we couldn't accept you as of now? They just don't say anything and you email them saying, oh, okay. Or they wait list you. I got put on wait lists so then or, you yeah. know, it's, like, it's rare that they'll, it's kind of like medical school was where like, if you apply to medical school, some places will give you interviews, rarely places will like outright, outright decline you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then places will, like wait list you. Gotcha. So often you just don't hear anything from them. So that's when you're kind of like, hey, I want to go here. Right. <laughs> I actually did do this thing. Right. Please right. let me know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so I know we touched on this just a little bit uh, beforehand, but how does one stand out specifically on EM? So there's the coming in with that positive attitude that, you know, want to be there. But is there something that you specifically do? Is there a way you help a physician in some way? Uh, like h- how do you be helpful, I guess, on an EM rotation? Um, yeah. So, so speaking to um, EM attendings and the culture of uh, impatience, brevity is super key on EM, where it might not be in uh, other fields. So you kind of do your third year and fourth year rotations, and they want a broad differential where you've considered every rare, like zebra and all those things. And um, EM attendings, you can just kind of see their eyes roll back in their head and then like die a little bit inside when you start talking <laughs> about like autoimmune diseases. They're like, oh my God, this guy. Like, I'm sure, you know, a lot of, that's great. Yeah, um, yeah. But they, you know, they want to know, they're in an emergency room. Tell me about the emergencies. Sure. So that is something that I think students struggle with in the ED is mm-hmm. that. Um, Especially coming off of if you're like had internal med before or, or something like that. Absolutely. Like, I could see that. Yeah. And because you're like, yeah. oh, it could be this super rare, you know, infectious disease that doesn't have that happens in the Caribbean. And this person yeah. was in the Caribbean seven yeah. years ago. So maybe. Um, so brevity is a big thing. Um, positive attitude. We kind of talked about a little bit earlier being a team player. EM's not like other specialties where um, my experience on a lot of other specialties is there's kind of one attending and a bunch of other residents working under them. EM, often there's multiple attendings working together. So there's not kind of one boss. So you have to be able to like work with other attendings a little better um, is my perception. Um, And it's usually like a little more uh, collegial, let's say. So there's not like one decision maker. So um, showing that you can work well with others, showing that you can work well with the nursing staff. Um, There's like gonna be different triage teams, different pods. Um, That's really important. And then um, kind of continuing that teamwork and collegiality aspect. When you're calling someone from the ED, um, especially if you're calling in the middle of the night, sometimes they're not excited to talk to you because they're an attending at home asleep or something and you're telling them that they need to come in for an emergent surgery and that's not a fun thing to wake up to. So I think um, recognizing that and recognizing that you're asking someone for help um, and being prepared for that situation um, and doing it in a way that um, kind of, kind of, implies that you, that you respect them and that you understand that you're asking them for sort of a favor. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to get along with other people, I think, more than you have to do on other specialties where you're the be all end all of decision making. Mm 
Yeah, I agree. I don't have anything to add. Nice. Um, so I know you guys are in the process, or Shay, you've you've already matched, um, but Chase specifically, you haven't, and you're kind of in the interview. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is. uh, um, He will match. He will match. Uh, (laughs) But um, so my mom says so. how how did you how did you go well and Shay too how did you guys go about choosing which residency program to apply to because I know each one has a different style um, is it just sheer like this is the best people or you know what do you look for is there certain kind of practices or training or clinical opportunities or patient population that you like you know how 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 do you how do you choose which one to apply to or go to. So I think in EM, there's a couple big differentiating factors. Um, the majority of EM programs are three years versus four. Um, for some people, that matters. That didn't matter for me specifically, but that's one place, you know, if you are sold on a four-year program being better, then maybe you wouldn't apply to three-year programs. Um, another big thing that Shay kind of talked about is academic versus community. Um, there are pros and cons to each, and so maybe if you want more community places, you might choose to apply to community places, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest factor for residents deciding ultimately where they match. And so there's kind of both choosing where you're going to apply and choosing where you're going to match are, are different, of course. Um, but geography ends up being the biggest thing. Um, you People tend to choose places they want to live, um, as might make sense. And then within a place you want to live, you will choose between programs. Um, I think what Wit and Shay maybe can evaluate this is we were kind of told that all EM programs are good. And so that's regardless of where you go, whether it's, you know, Harvard or a community hospital near you, you're going to be a good physician. And that it's not like some other fields where you necessarily have to be at the biggest center to get the best education because Mm -hmm. EM is so um, community facing that actually having less specialists might mean you need to know more because you don't have other people to rely on as much. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was the big thing. Those are kind of big considerations in deciding where to apply. I actually didn't know a lot about... um, the culture of different institutions um, prior to either interviewing or like doing rotations there. Uh, I think that one might be harder to gauge from afar. Um, you kind of have a network of other applicants uh, within your class who you can talk to and say, hey, I heard you went to this school or this program. How was it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can ask at Loyal, you know, we have the class above us. And you can ask them what you've heard or what you've experienced or whatever about these other programs. And so you can kind of gauge your potential fit there a little bit. Um, but I think ultimately you kind of just have to go on the interview or, and that's kind of the beauty of the away rotations too, is, uh, you might have, um, a stereotype of a certain program and you go there and it's completely the opposite or it fits your stereotype. Um, and that's why those away rotations can really help decide where you ultimately want to interview or match. Um, cool. Yeah, I agree. I applied to programs mostly on the West coast and interviewed there because that's where I wanted to end up. And then kind of thinking about what else I wanted, I was thinking three years versus four years. The If the fourth year offered something, I thought of that as a good thing. But if, if I went there and I was like, what is this fourth year really for? What is it adding? That was kind of more of a negative for me. Um, but there were some four-year programs that seemed like they really offered a lot and you would really gain from that. Um, like one program that I liked, they had... Um, they kind of did like mini deployments. And so there were fires in Northern California this past year that were really bad. And they deployed out there and gave medical care and like set up their own tent and that sort of thing, which I thought would be really good training for me 
in the future because I will be deployed in the Air Force. So kind of finding those things that are going to make you better in the future. And I think the community versus academic is really hard to tell at this stage. Like you can rotate at those places and think you know what you want, but I think it's really hard. So I was really interested in programs that had both a community center and an academic center because I just think that variety is also really fun too and just kind of changes things up, which is what I like. And I think another big thing is volume. The, the more patients you see, the more you're going to learn. And so figuring out how many patients the residents see, it's not necessarily volume uh, that the hospital sees, but if you take into account how many residents they have and how many hours they work and that sort of thing. And then I think something that I didn't really ask about, but I heard people asking about on the interview trail is how is emergency medicine perceived at that institution? So at some places, the EM docs are like the, you know, the Top the best people sure. in the hospital. Like that's how they're perceived. Like, mm-hmm. okay, they, they make decisions and they're really smart. And then at some places, they're like, people don't respect them as much. So if that's like something important, then I guess it would, it would be nice to go to a place where EM is highly perceived, but also the, the challenge of trying to change that stereotype would be fun too. So it depends on what you want really, but I think something that everyone could kind of agree on would be mm-hmm. seeing a high volume and kind of diversity of training. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and, and like Shay said, like diversity of patients, um, there are certain areas that regardless of where you are, you're going to see a lot of different people. But if you're in a rural area, you know, um, you might see more farming accidents or you might see more methamphetamine use or you might see more different drug overdoses. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, maybe stereotypically in an urban center, you're going to see more violent crime or different drug drugs of abuse that are used. Um, so I think all the options are vi- viable and valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like whatever, when you do your ways or, or those kind of things, whatever you feel like resonates with you the most or what you've reflected on the past couple of years and kind of seeing if a program matches, matches that specifically. Yeah. Um, is that kind of like a good way to go about it? Yeah, I would say. And then another thing that is kind of tougher to, to consider when you're a medical student, but um, can sort of, I've been thinking about a little more recently is, is the next step, right? So where do mm-hmm. they put their graduates? Sure. Um, and whether that's in, practice or in fellowships or wherever and depending on where you go that's gonna be different right you know Mm -hmm. more likely the academic centers are going to kind of push you towards fellowship and it's like okay where um do they go for fellowships um and attending ships maybe you want to practice right away and that's fine too Mm -hmm. um and maybe that's more of a community center Mm -hmm. um and that can be kind of hard to uh evaluate from afar um but i think most programs do a pretty good job about like sharing that with you because they want to like brag about where they're sending people (laughs) cool yeah, it'll tell you. <laughs> but I and I think too, like when you go and interview at these places, just like how well you get along with the people. Yeah, totally. I think it's, it's important. It's tough because um, for the residency interviews, they're recruiting you as much as you're selling yourself, and so they are really nice to you. And they're you know the residents <laughs> say this is the best hospital in the world, and you know, evaluating that from an, a day, who knows, right? You know. They could have been having a really good day. They could have been having a really bad day. And so it's hard to say, like, is this the best place on earth? Did I have a, a great day here? Um, so those away rotations would be really valuable for that because you'll spend a month there and see. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then maybe talking to other colleagues who work there or like like we said earlier like if there's like former graduates from your medical school who yeah. are there what well, are are the ones that you the ways that you've done are those like kind of high on your list then or if they're if they're not if it didn't work out well are they not <laughs> I mean, Shay matched where she did in a way. So I oh, think, you know, it was, yeah. it was pretty high. I think that's, I think, I guess I've seen more for like other specialties that, that usually where you do in a way is where you match. Uh-huh. Uh, for sure, that's true, like orthopedics. Yeah. Um, EM, I'm not sure if what the data would say about that. Um, but yeah, you definitely get more insight, good or bad. Um, I had great experiences on my ways. And so, yeah, so I would rank them higher because of that. Yeah. Um, so and you, it's, yeah, well, I'll continue, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, there's just, there's, there's less questions that you have to ask about a program sure. because Cause you've been there. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. And so, so if the residents are having a great day and they give you a great catered lunch and the PD is super nice, you know, it's different so if that's, much. yeah, I mean, Shay's into lunches. And so it's, it's easy to have an interview face for four hours or whatever and have them sell you on like, well, we do this, that, and the other. And it's an entirely different thing for over a month to see the happiness of the residents. And if the residents are happy and excited to be there every day for a month, it's a lot harder to fake that. Mm-hmm. And so that that kind of gives you more confidence when you're choosing a program being like, people love it here. And like, I don't think they've been faking it for a month just for my benefit. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, so that can definitely assuage some fears you, you would have. Awesome. And so now I'd, I'd like to transition a little bit and just talk about just general advice for medical students um, throughout their years. And uh, I guess just to start, even going before medical school, what advice would you give to pre-med students or gap year students? Because you both did those gap years as well. Um, what would advice would you give to, to those students who are applying? I think try to get involved in um, like medicine so that you, because then you know if you really like it, first of all. And second of all, if as if we're looking at your application, which I did do um, at Stretch, like looked at some applications for people applying, and I wanted to see that they were involved in medicine in some form so that they knew what they were getting into. And I think scribing is a really good way to do that. I was asked about scribing on like all my interviews for residency even. So because it just gives you such a good insight and you don't, there's not even like you have to do EM, you can scribe in all these different areas and, um, and like family practice and that sort of thing. But I think that's a really good way to do it. And then I think Chase mentioned it earlier, but having just a wide array of experiences. So like community service and that sort of thing, like finding something that you're interested in and you can kind of make a difference in your community and leadership roles is a, another important thing just to kind of have on your application. Um, but then also just like doing things that you're interested in, because if you get asked about them on interviews and, and we do, like we still get asked about things that we do like for fun on interviews and things that, yeah. in residency interviews and things that we did. I got asked about some things that I did in college. I got asked more about things I did in college than things I did in medical school. Really? Yeah. So if you don't like them and you can't talk about them, that's going to be so (laughs) obvious, but so do things that you like to do and do like random things even if you're into it because then it just shows that you are kind of like a versatile person and you've explored other avenues and um you know you're just kind of like a well-rounded person yeah i think that's one thing i didn't really appreciate applying to medical school you have to think about it like put yourself in the shoes of an attending physician who's going to say whether or not this kid should be a doctor and they have lives and they like do stuff and have interests. So if you say, you know, oh, all I do is sit in the hospital all day and like read books on medicine, 
that can be awesome and that's great but if you're faking it they're gonna know because they've worked with physicians who they saw like that in medical school and they've worked with people who have burnt out and so they're not only evaluating whether or not you would be a good medical student but whether or not they think you'll make a good physician and mm -hmm. so i think for a lot of them they want to see how do you manage stress how do you decompress? Um, how do you interact with other people? So much of medicine is, as we've talked about earlier, is interacting with other people, and whether that's in, you know, community service groups, like Shay kind of mentioned, in leadership roles, in whatever it is, medicine's a team sport, and so you have to be able to get along with people, even if you know if you're really smart, but you irritate people. You know, house doesn't work in real life. I think. <laughs> um, yeah. So you have to you have to show that you can do those things, and a, and a good way to do that is. Um, is uh, your extracurriculars. So I would say everything Shay said was like spot on. Um, and I would say do stuff you enjoy because like Shay said, the toughest thing would be getting into medical school and finding out after you graduate or sometime in medical school that you didn't want to do this. Mm. Because, you know, you can spend so much time making your application perfect and getting the MCAT score and the GPA and all those things. But if you come in and you hate it, then like you've only hurt yourself. And so find out if you like it. Do those describing, whether it's describing or the shadowing or volunteering or whatever it is, do those things because it'll look good for your application, but primarily do those things because you need to see if you're ready to do this for the next 40, 50 years, however long you decide you're going to practice for. Mm. And if it sucks, then sweet. You buy yourself, you know, <laughs> you don't have to go through this, but if you like it, then that's good too, <laughs> because, you know, it shows that you're interested in it and you can say to yourself, like, I actually do like this. I, mm. I'm ready to commit and do all the long hours and the pain mm. associated with it gotcha. to, to get to this end goal. Um, what would what advice would you give to a first year medical student? So, um, experience is the best teacher, unfortunately, and fortunately, <laughs> I suppose. Um, I think things that I would have done differently as a first year student. I think when I came to medical school, I had this idea that, okay, now all you do is study, and um, as you progress through medical school, you have more and more obligations. Um, so you feel like, okay, I have. Uh, as far as academically, more more academic obligations. So you have less time to do extracurricular type things. Um, whereas in college, um, almost all medical students are super involved in extracurriculars. You're doing all sorts of stuff and spread probably too thin. Um, I think in medical school, my regret about first year was focusing too much on the academics. Like Shay and I had been in like volleyball leagues and that kind of tailed off as we entered second year, which is when Loyola starts to ramp up a little bit academically. Um, I think I would have done more stuff like that, in fact. I think I would have studied less. Um, which is maybe a hot take. Um, <laughs> I would have studied less and I would have done way more other extracurricular stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think for me, that kept me grounded. And it's tough when you're studying, whatever, eight hours a day to not get like burnt out by it and be like, oh, I hate learning this. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have those other activities where you can kind of see maybe medicine in a different light, medicine from the um, kind of perspective of the community, or just take your mind entirely off medicine, you can kind of come back a little bit more refreshed and focused and be like, all right, like this is why I need to learn this because whatever I saw it. Um, so I would do more extracurriculars and I would do kind of more in that same vein, things around medicine, whether that's like shadowing or um, we have like programs like working, like volunteering at local places, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, because kind of it, for me, at least it revitalizes my interest in studying, you know, when you're just studying histones again, um, it's like brutal. And so you kind of need something to be like, all right, this is why I have to learn this. So I would have done more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, but I don't think I would have, like, if I would if I were to do first year again, I think I'd probably still study the same amount just because it's so easy now to be on, like, this end of it 
be like, oh, I should have studied yeah. less and I should have done more fun things and done things that were more fulfilling. But it's I think tough. in you, the moment, I wouldn't have done, I would have, I would study the same amount I did. And yeah. it was a lot. I still did those other things. Like I, I did get involved in service and like loyal, it makes it super easy to, there's like a million opportunities. So I still had things that I did. No, um, not, not that I didn't do those things. I just felt like, yeah, you know, like there's, there's, you want to try to do more and do more fun up. stuff for sure. But, and everyone says that now, like, I think if you asked every person in our class, they would say that they wish they did that. But if I had done first year again, I wouldn't change anything. I don't think just because it's so Chase hard flawless. in the moment. And I don't want people <laughs> to feel like you're, you should feel bad if you're not doing like more fun things. Like it's really hard. So I think sure. if you're at least, I mean, second year is a lot harder, but first year you do have more time to do fun things. But I think, I think the advice that I would give is to just make good habits. And that includes doing other things, but it includes things like sleeping and going to the gym and eating healthy. So making good habits that make you a well-rounded person. So fitting in studying and those other things that just make you a human is what I would, what I would say. So like, don't get into the habit of, you know, staying up all night and pulling an all nighter and that sort of thing. Like those habits that you had in college that worked aren't going to work anymore for most people. I would think some people still did it, but I think they would agree with me that it would be in your best interest to just start making good habits first year. Yeah. I think we're saying variations of a, of a similar theme. Yeah. For sure. For sure. How about uh, for second year students? And I know like second year, typically, you know, typical uh, schedule for medical schools is, you know, first two years you're in the books and then later, latter two years are rotations and, you know, a second year, that's when a lot of people take step. Um, so, what would you say to yourself second year or to the other second year students out there advice, general advice could be step, non-step advice too. Mm, I think keep those habits that you made first year, like still go to the gym and still sleep. Um, but you know, work really hard for step one because, um, it's just gonna, it's a short period of time and you can get through it. And if you do well on it, it'll just make your life easier down the road. And I think it's really hard when you're in the moment to like keep going and like constantly study and constantly push yourself. But I think it'll, it'll pay off. Yeah. I I mean, I agree. Uh, and I would just kind of the same advice we gave for first year is there is a bit of a mounting pressure, especially in second year. I remember feeling so much pressure about step. Um, because everyone's like, oh, yeah, if you get this so score, much. you can go into this specialty. And if you don't, then you're going to go do family med in Alaska. And so, like, I think that pressure can be motivating, uh, kind of like Shay said a little bit. But it can also be terrifying. And you don't want it mm-hmm. to scare you into not sleeping well, not eating well. Because ultimately, those things are just going to be worse for you in both the short and the long term. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that... Um, there's only so much you can learn in a day. Mm. And so making sure you take time to kind of, as we talked about, just be balanced and like eat well, exercise, still have like social interactions, still do the things you're passionate about, um, can kind of revitalize your, um, maybe not desire, but um, willingness to study and to, and to pull those longer hours studying that are, that are necessary for second year. Cool. Um, how about for third year medical students? So I guess in third year in this context, typical, just starting rotations or are rotating now? 
So my advice for third year would be, one, pat yourself on the back. You made it for the first first two years. <laughs> um, and in my, I really, I much more enjoyed my clinical years than my preclinical years. Not everyone feels that way. Um, but I would say a couple pieces of advice would be take every day and just, it's really hard and it sounds super cheesy and it's so annoying to hear people tell you this, but like really don't take it for granted because the best way for me to learn was to experience patient cases and you're going to see something that day or you might see something that day, um, that you will never see again. Um, and that really is experience is the best teacher. Kind of like we talked about. Um, I remember my first patient on medicine third year was a lady with uh, sarcoid. I was like, oh, I didn't think that was even like a real thing. Um, <laughs> but it really helps you like learn it, right? Because like, mm -hmm. oh, Mrs. Smith had sarcoid. And so now I know what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely come in with an open mind every day. And kind of a continuation of that would be come in with an open mind towards specialties. Because I think there are the people who walk into medical school and say, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon, case closed. But I think for a lot of us, even if you don't ultimately change from what you wanted to do that first day, you consider other things, and I think it would be wrong not to. And so, you know, Shay was saying earlier that she enjoyed aspects of almost every specialty. I think that's good, and I think you should try to do that. Um, and I don't think that you should think that enjoying aspects of, say, family medicine, if you want to be a neurosurgeon, are not valuable. And I don't think you should feel bad for enjoying it because, one, you're both, both you're going to learn on that rotation something that you might not see again if you don't choose to do family medicine. And two, it can help you decide what you actually like. You know, you might have been wrong, and I think you it's tough in medical school to admit that you're wrong um but that's an important part of, of your growth as a person eventually as a physician is uh, evaluating all these different things and seeing what you like um and then finally it would be um and we kind of already talked about it in, in advice for em but um and i know we all talk about it as medical students but there are people in your class that suck to be on rotation with and this is not <laughs> so much advice for the individual as more of like what their friends would want them to know, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think you, honestly, because you can suck on rotation to your other medical students and still honor the rotation and still get an A or whatever and, and crush the grades. Um, but it sucks to be around you. And um, don't be the guy who's, we all want to get good grades. Like we're all in medical school. We all tried hard at some point in our life to get here. Um, and if you're kind of like one-upping people or like taking people's patience or like, you, you'll know when you're in a third year, you know what those people do to kind of make themselves look better than you. Um, and I think the attendings try and give themselves a lot of credit and say, Oh, we know what, we know what you're doing. We like stamp it out. And like, they don't. Um, and those people still get good grades, <laughs> but it sucks to work with those people. And like, that sucks for the rest of your life. Like you're just an annoying person to work with. It's not, it's not a good thing to have. Yeah, and yeah. so you don't want to start that early. Yeah. So I guess, I guess, um, to your point, what are those, what are those habits that are, are like pet peeves, I guess, of, of, co-medical students or co-residents or, or whatever that really make it hard for you, for, for everyone to succeed, except maybe that person. But So, um, well, there's kind of a, a couple things that go on in medical school. Um, so I guess first thing that comes to mind is like, if it's your patient, it's your patient. So if Shay and I are both in, let's say on a medicine rotation, and I have a really interesting patient, and she thinks maybe her patients aren't as interesting, um, she should feel free to read the medical record and learn about this patient and use as a learning opportunity and ask questions about it. But if there's time for like a procedure, I should get first dibs because that's my patient, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or if it's time to present an article about a certain disease process, um, Shay should by all means learn about it. But it would be less cool of Shay to, to come up to the attending the next day and say, look at all this research I did on 
G6PD deficiency about Chase's patient because then it makes me look stupid that I didn't do that research. Even if maybe I did, maybe I just didn't present it. Um, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So you, you don't want to like be, and, and it's tough to say, and I think attending is kind of, and, and your medical, the faculty struggle with how to advise people about this because you want people to do that and to do all that reading and to do right. all that learning. Right. But you don't want to do it in such a way that it um, minimizes the efforts of your of your colleagues, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so by saying, look what I did, like, look at me, mm-hmm. it's good that you did those things, but it's not good the way you presented it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one. Um, the big things for me were like surgical, so surgical and procedural. Like if it's my patient, I want to go do the case. Um, mm-hmm. I had, I guess this is more of one of those where it's hard to know what's right, but it's easy to know what's wrong. Um, you know, <laughs> I had a fellow student watch me during a surgical case and tell me that I was doing things wrong. And that's fine. I probably was. Um, but there were minimal things. And there's a better way to do that than, say, in front of the attending physician who's giving me a grade, say, hey, Chase, you're an idiot. You're doing a dumb thing. Just be like later, be like, hey, man, I noticed, I, like, I don't think that you did this. Or maybe you should do this in a different way. But um, calling out someone's mistakes in front of people uh, is not super nice. Um, and same thing, you know, if someone's pimped on a question, for example, and they don't know the answer, you should feel free to answer if the attending asks you, but you shouldn't be jumping in front of the other medical student to answer, right? right? So you can know in deep down, we all get that like antsy kind of feeling. You're sitting there like wiggling, ready to answer. I know what this <laughs> sure, enzyme sure, is. Sure. Like let your other medical student miss mm-hmm. and let the attending ask you. Gotcha. Um, because because maybe the atten- the other student does know and they're just taking a second longer to answer and you jumping in front of them is kind of like cool. depriving them of them. Yeah. It makes them seem like they don't know the answer and that's that's not very fair to them. Right. Cool. Shay, would you say the same thing too? Yeah, I think just have a positive attitude every day, which is hard to do. But um, just like on every clerkship, like I went into it thinking again, like this is what I want to do, and so even on something that I probably knew that I didn't want to do, I still gave it a fair shot. So I think that just shows that, because really like, especially in EM, but really in anything, like you're going to, you can learn from it and it may come up again later on and you may never realize it, but you're like, Oh, I learned that on vascular. So now that I'm in the emergency department and I see that I can, I kind of know what to do better. But if you weren't really engaged, then it, it, that won't happen and it, it won't help your practice later on. It'll only hurt. So I think just having a positive attitude and being willing to learn. Awesome. Yeah. And I totally get it. And medical students, I think we have a reputation for complaining about our lives more than anyone in the world. And uh, it's especially tough when you're on like those longer rotations where maybe you've been in the hospital for 24 hours straight and you know, you haven't had a day off in like three weeks. It's really easy to slip into that kind of self-defeating attitude of this sucks. I just want to go home. I just want to sleep. I'm hungry. I'm tired. Um, and those can all be real things. And you probably are hungry and tired and cold and et cetera. But um, while you're there, you have to kind of be like, all right, like I have I have to be here. And not only do I have to be here, but I have this opportunity to treat people um, and to make a positive impact on people's lives that I am and fr- I'm frankly lucky to have um, and that I might not get again if yeah. I mess this up. And so... You really have to take a step back, get over how much your feet hurt from standing in a case for the last eight hours, and just be like, we're lucky to be here. Like, this is not a right that we have. This is a privilege that the community has granted us as medical students. Um, 
and you have to make the best of the situation. Cool. And you're paying to be there. And you're paying to be there, so. <laughs> which is also frustrating. You may as well get everything <laughs> well. out of it that you can. And do, do the math for your individual medical school on how much you've paid to be there that day, and that kind of changes your mind. <laughs> like, I have to learn $400 worth of information today, so oh, I'm going to learn it. Um, what would you... What advice would you give for uh, to fourth-year medical school students? So I know you're kind of in it right now, but what would you give to your classmates or to someone maybe just coming into fourth year? Well, I think wrapping up interview season, I just like looking back, like I had so much fun on all my interviews and I made a lot of friends. And like my last interview, I was, I was there when I found out that I matched and like everyone was like, cheering on with me and being super nice and a bunch of them I had already met and so they like already knew that I was like what I wanted and and then the next day I went hiking with a girl that I had met and I still text some of the people that I just met on my interview and even so it's like the applicants that you meet and the residents and the program directors and stuff like it's just so fun and we're going to be working with them for many years to come so I think it's really easy to get like bogged down and tired by interview season, like the same way that it is when you're on your third year rotations. But I just tried to have like a really positive attitude every day. And I think it worked because I had so much fun. Yeah, I think Shay's entirely right. Um, definitely a positive attitude. I'd echo that. And uh, as far as like the more nitty gritty stuff, get all your ducks in order so that it's not so if things go wrong, you can be confident that you've done what you need to do. Because there's nothing worse than, say, turning in a document late and being like, well, is that the reason that I didn't get this interview or didn't match this program or whatever? So get, like we kind of talked about earlier, advice for matching an EM. Get all your ways set up. Get all your documents for ARIS. ARIS makes you put in a bunch of different documentation. Just get it done two months in advance or whenever you have time, three months in advance, six months in advance, whenever you have time. That way, when the time comes, you can just press submit and be fine. Um, and then, yeah, and then the rest of the fourth year, I mean, I guess we're only about halfway through right now. Um, interviews, like Shay said, are really fun. Um, there are a lot of stresses associated with interviews, you know, like expensive and like flying places and booking hotels, but same kind of thing. Just get those things done, plan it as much as you can in advance, and then just <laughs> try as best you can to take a deep breath and, and let what happens, happens. Awesome. Um, what do you guys think the best algorithm is in choosing a specialty in medical school? I was told, um, I forget who told me this, but I think sometime during like first year that you go into the specialty of the residents that you like most and the people that you match with most. Um, I think that's a little bit true. Um, but I remember mm-hmm. being terrified of that both second year and third year. Because like I said earlier, the people I liked most were in cardiothoracic surgery, and that's a pretty brutal fellowship and residency situation. And um, most of my close friends are going into general surgery, and I don't like general surgery. Um, so I was like, oh, crap. Um, so I, my advice would be, I think the fit with other people is absolutely super important because you're going to be working with those people. Um, but you have to find what you're passionate about. And like we talked about earlier, sometimes you kind of just know. Um, if you're showing up every day and you're looking forward to it, as opposed to dreading it and saying, oh, I have to go in tomorrow, like that's a huge positive indicator. Um, so I think you just need to experience as many different specialties as you can. And, um, some advice that I got was to keep a journal of your experiences on those rotations. Um, I wish I could say that I was good at doing that. Um, (laughs) 
I did it sometimes when I felt like it. Um, but I think that can give you better hindsight when you're evaluating, oh, did I really like critical care, my critical care month? Um, just being honest with yourself and, and, and saying the positive aspects of it and the negative aspects of it, because they're going to be both. Um, and then kind of as you move from third to fourth year, seeing which of the things that you've experienced best fits what you want in life. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know that there's like an algorithm in choosing. I think I really do think that people can be happy in multiple specialties. And I don't think for a lot of people there was like an aha moment about which one they were going to choose. I, there are people in our class who like were down to the wire and choosing between two. Like, who are they just still like one. dual applying right now. Yeah, yeah, dual applying or like that's all unsure, I which I think is totally normal to be unsure. I don't, I dual applying is is a whole other beast, but, but there are people I think who change specialties after intern year too, right? right. So, like, what there are people change? who change specialties after intern year or after two years or do multiple residencies. Yeah. So, like, never feel like because I remember thinking during third year, like, oh shoot, I'm still not sure. Like, I've always wanted to do yeah. EM, but like maybe I want to do something else and like, how will I know unless I do it? And like, is a month enough to know whether or not you would be happy doing this for the rest of your life? And there's always going to be some lingering doubt. Um, mm-hmm. And the good news is that sort of, it's never too late to change. You can always go back and do residency, even if you're, you know, 50 and have been attending for 20 years, mm-hmm. it would suck, but you can do it. Um, so it's kind of never too late to choose. Um, but, but as we've talked about earlier, just leave as many options available as you can so that when you ultimately do choose, um, you can do that thing. Awesome. Shay, would you say the same thing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's a hard question. That was like the one question that I didn't have anything mm-hmm. like written down to answer because I just think it's there's so many things that play into it. And, and I think you have to consider like for Ian, the things we had to consider were the shift work and working on holidays um, and like the unknown day to day. So it's not like you have a schedule going in and like one day could be really slow. One day could be really fast. And so just like really taking a look at your personality mm-hmm. and like what kind of jobs you've had in the past. Like I have never really had a job that was just like nine to five. And I didn't know what the, or, you know, like already scheduled going into it. Like every mm-hmm. job that I've had are like weird hours and like, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into that day and that sort of thing. So I'm like, that's, I like that. And I, I don't want kind of the routine that's to me like really mundane. So these were like all these things that I thought about that I knew about myself. And so it made the most sense to choose EM. I think you have to just be like really honest with yourself about the type of person you are and figure out like what matches up with that. Um, but I don't think there's like, one way to do it. Gotcha. I think one other thing you could do too that I did a little bit, maybe you could have done more, is talking to people in specialties. I remember one question I asked every attending I worked with was, if you hadn't gone into this field, what would you have gone into? Um, and, and the majority of the answers were anesthesia and EM, so that made me more confident in choosing EM. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> other people like this. Um, but yeah, just asking them maybe what type of person do you think succeeds in this field? Because it, it, I mean, it, it really does take all types, right? And there mm-hmm. are stereotypes of the medical specialties um, for good and for bad. And sometimes those stereotypes are more accurate than, and sometimes they're not. Um, but there's definitely personality traits that are more valuable in some fields than others. Um, and like Shay said, like looking at yourself and seeing, you know, if you really want scheduled rigorous 
like I know what I'm doing at 915, I know what I'm doing at 925, then obviously EM is not for you, right? Like that's just not how it works. Um, and the inverse of that is also true. If you <laughs> if you can't handle not knowing what you're going to do that day, then EM is not for you. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it's just a lot of self reflection and, and evaluation of what others think about their field and what they think is appropriate to be successful in that field. Cool. Um, so last thing, guys, what is the best way that uh, people can reach you if they have further questions? Contact Shay. You can talk to Shay. <laughs> yeah, email is fine. Um, it's my email is sbowls at luc.edu. So that's S as in Sam, B as in boy, O L E S at luc.edu. Awesome. Yeah, mine's the same. It's just the LUC addresses C Thorson. <laughs> he doesn't have the same email. <laughs> it's not spelled the same. Thorson is not spelled the same way as Bulls. But yeah, it's just email me or my email address, my Gmail address is just my name at Gmail, my okay. full name. So people feel like doing that. That's fine too. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys, for uh, for coming on today. Um, and uh, we are so appreciative of, of you guys taking time. And I know you guys are rotating or on holiday break and Chase enjoying just California. Out at home going yeah. to a spa, doing so yeah. she's not busy. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.